Hey, good morning, everybody. All right. It is great to be together in person. No? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I haven't been out of the house in four months. So this is the first place. Um, I'm just going to hop right into it. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to jump into an exhortation from Paul and try to pull some things out of what Paul is saying that I believe are for us today as we set our lives to love Jesus, to honor him above all things, for God to be glorified in us. Um, as you're doing that, I don't, where'd he go? All right. <laughs> I was going to say, as you're turning there, uh, I just want to take a moment to say how wonderful your pastors are. Um, we love pastors Keith and Julie, their kids, Isabel and Abishai. As he said, we really are grateful and we honor what God has done between our two families. Um, we cherish it. It's something really special to us. Um, and so we just want to take a moment and honor them publicly. We, we love you guys. Um, we celebrate what God is doing with you guys. I'm just going to say it as if he was here. He, he can watch the tape. Um, but we do. We celebrate what God is doing with them, and we're grateful to be here with you guys. Um, as I said in the first service, uh, my outrageously beautiful wife is here with me, Anna Dow. Um, we do not have any of our kids. Uh, our four children... We have two boys, two girls. They are 10, 8, 5, and 1. They are spending three days with Grandma, and they are going to require much reprogramming when we get back home. <laughs> um, yes, there are some grandparents in here who understand exactly what I'm talking about, obviously, because they are smiling the biggest. <laughs> uh, my kids will need to be reprogrammed when we get back home, but we are ready for it. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have one of two ways that we can go. Uh, if I start with verse 1, it'll take about four or five hours. <laughs> um, we're going to jump off in verse 16 here in just a moment with Paul's exhortation to believers in Corinth. Again, Paul is writing this letter to a church that he has not only founded, right? Paul is not just viewing himself as a church planter but he sees himself as a father in the gospel. And it's important to make the distinction. Paul says, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. He says, but I have fathered you in the gospel. It's a familial type relationship. He loves them deeply. He is intimately connected and concerned about their well-being and the things that are happening to them. He is committed covenantally in order to continue his encouragement to see them raised up into and unto a place of maturity in he who is the head, which is Jesus, that God may be glorified in what he's doing in them. And this letter that he is writing to the Corinthians, um, which many believe is a gathering of 40 to 60 folks in the city of Corinth. They're going house to house. They're meeting um, the host of which they believe had a large enough house to host them all. Um, but Paul is writing to them, and in chapter 5, he brings an incredible exhortation for us as believers. And I say us as believers because that's what we are. We are believers in Jesus. We are Christians. 
And I know that there are a lot of different ways to associate or to identify with what different people mean when they say Christian. But just to help frame the conversation in a little bit, I'm going to tell you what I mean when I say that we are Christian. When I say that we are Christian, what I mean or what I don't mean would be easier to start off that way. What I don't mean is that we're just checking off a religious box because we don't like the other options that have been presented to us. I don't mean that I'm Christian because, well, I mean, I don't want to be Buddhist and I don't want to be Hindu and I don't want to be Muslim and I don't want to be agnostic, right? I don't want to be an atheist. You know, I mean, I don't see myself that way. And so if these are the options, then the only option that's suitable for me would be to check off Christian. That's not at all what I mean. I don't mean that we are Christian because we primarily have defined the upbringing of our lives even by conservative beliefs. That's not at all what I mean either. It doesn't necessarily matter to me the way that we have viewed ourselves if we can integrate that into a Christian-type posture. It's not like, well, I, I see myself as a pretty good person, and I've always been pretty conservative, and the thing that associates best with the way that I see myself is the Christian expression or their faith or what it is that they've chosen to believe. And so because I'm conservative... And because I'm an overall good person, I mean, I'm an overall good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never cheated on my spouse. I don't beat my kids. Like, I mean, I'm a good person. That's not at all what I mean. I don't even necessarily mean that we're Christian because we have found ourselves in a church building or familiarized our lives with the Psalms. We're not even Christian because we have come into a church experience. We're Christian because we have seen the Christ. We're Christian because we have turned over our hearts. We no longer live our lives for ourselves. We have bowed our knee and we have pledged our allegiance to this wonderful king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the rightful ruler of all creation. He is the son of God, the exalted one, the only one that came and suffered unto death, satisfying the wages of sin, paying the penalty that our life deserved, but he satisfied the demand. And he is alive from the dead, ascended into the heavens, now awaiting the time when he will come again to judge and reward all of what we know in the experience of the world. We are not Christian because we've come to church. We are Christian because we have come to the Christ. It's important to make the distinction because we just don't fit into the worldly category of even the way the world tries to define what a Christian is. Well, a Christian is someone who attends this type of church. A Christian is someone who prays before their meals, gives in the offering. A Christian is someone who does these types. No, 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 no. We are not defined by the world. Though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are Christian because we have actually seen the Christ. And he has now put his spirit in us. And there is a work that is happening on the inside of us that is actually transforming our lives, conforming us into the image of Jesus. It is God's work. He has done it by his own desire. You and I could never have been able to make it happen, regardless of how important we think we are, regardless of the demands that we're able to make, regardless of our financial status. We would never have been able to fill our own lives with God's own spirit. It is God's work. 
He has done it by his own desire, and it is unto his own purpose. This is what makes our lives Christians. And Paul is talking to a group of Christians in Corinth. It's a people who have been born again. And he's encouraging them, and we're actually going to pick it up in verse 16. He's encouraging them with a very specific exhortation. And he says, therefore, because he opens chapter 5 by talking about our earthly tent, the groaning that we experience, we are filled with God's spirit, and it's what creates this dissatisfaction in life because we know that there is something of an eternal nature. There is something much more than being a prisoner to the immediacy of life. We recognize by God filling us that it produces this ache, this longing, this groaning. He references it as to an earthly tent that one day all of what is mortal will put on immortality. Then he comes through and he talks about how we are absent, meaning we're present with the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ, and living our lives with purpose because of these two things. And he picks it up in verse 16. Therefore, based off of these things, based off of you being filled with the Spirit, based off of the recognition that all of our lives are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, based off of the reality that Jesus has died and rose again, and he has now made a way for us to be a born-again people, therefore, that's what therefore means. Therefore, in light of these things, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some translations say he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, again, in light of these things, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through our lives. Actually, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. These are amazing days for us as believers. These are incredible days for us to live our lives as Christians. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Paul says that if any man is in Christ, again, in Christ, not just in some Christian relationships, not just seated somewhere in a church, but if any man is in Christ and he has been born again, that he is now no longer what he used to be, But he is now a new creation. He is a new creature. He is a new species. He is a different kind of human. 
We are in the world, but we are not of the world because as a people who believe in Jesus that have been filled with God's spirit, we are born again from above. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And to this Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a religious elect, a teacher of Israel, says to Jesus, is a man really supposed to enter into his mother's womb again? This can't be the plan. And Jesus says, unless a man is born again, born again from water in the spirit, you will not even be able to perceive the kingdom. How will you understand heavenly things if you can't even understand these earthly things that I am trying to communicate to you? We are a people who have been born again. That means we have confessed with our mouth, believed in our hearts, right? This is the Roman road. This is what Paul communicates even in the book of Romans. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for our sins, raised from the dead, ascended into the heavens, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You shall be born again by the Spirit. Meaning that when we confess our allegiance to Jesus, God fills us with his own spirit. And it is now his spirit that is in work in you, transforming you into the likeness or the image of Jesus. Why is this even important? It's important because Paul says when you are in Christ, you are no longer what you used to be. All things have passed. Every old thing has passed. Well, I mean, what type of old things? Every old thing has passed. Every primary way that you used to identify, every way that you used to associate, every way that you used to integrate has passed. All things have become new. What does that mean? That means now I'm a believer. Now I'm a Christian, and that is my primary distinction regardless of where I find myself. Now my heart has been turned over. My life has been laid down. The I is no longer alive, but it is Christ that is alive and living on the inside of me. And so old things have passed. Every old thing, the way that I was raised, the way I used to behave, the things I used to believe, God is transforming me and creating in me an image that looks more like his son, Jesus. All things have become new. My primary way of identifying is now as a believer. My primary way of integrating into life and the world around me is as a Christian. Fundamentally, foundationally, my integration is I am now a Christian. What does that actually mean? That means that I primarily don't identify first and foremost as an American. I'm not an American trying to be Christian. I'm a Christian that lives in America. Because Paul continues. And he says, in light of me being a new creation, in light of you being a new creature, in light of you being a new version of humanity, 
We are a new version of humanity because we are not the same as the rest that may surround us. We are filled with God's spirit. And it is God's spirit on the inside of us that has renewed us and is transforming us and has made us to be a new version of humanity or as Paul says, a new creature. You're a new species. You're not the same as everybody else. You're no longer what you used to be. Paul says, I am what I am, and that is by the grace of God, which means that I am something because I'm not what I used to be. Because what I used to be when I became born again, it got transformed. And now, through my process of transformation, God has completely renewed my identification. And Paul says, In light of that, I'm an ambassador. It's important that we understand the distinction of an ambassador. An ambassador, it's it's a governmental term, right? An ambassador is almost a, a political type term. We are most familiar with an ambassador through the planting of embassies. Right? We travel the world. We have the privilege to, to have a global experience. And something that we are familiar with when traveling is that the United States actually has representation around the world. They have representation around the world through the planting of what is known as an embassy. You see, an embassy is a smaller representation of a much larger reality. The United States may have an embassy in Russia, an embassy in China, an embassy in Africa, an embassy in Brazil. They may have a smaller representation of a much larger reality, that being the United States. Paul says, I am now an ambassador and you are now ambassadors. You see, because what I understand is that when you encounter someone in the embassy, the people who are employed and the people who take up residency through the embassy are under the jurisdiction of their homeland. When you encounter or interact with anyone in or from the embassy, you hear the home language. They are under home jurisdiction. They are governed according to the desires of their homeland, even while living in foreign and even at times hostile territory. Paul says, we are now ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of his kingdom. We are representatives of heaven. And so it's important that we see ourselves in light of this transformation as a new version of humanity living in America as heavenly representatives. Why is it important? Because if I don't see myself correctly, then it becomes very easy for me to get swallowed up or sucked into the whirlwind of all of the worldly chaos that is happening around me. But Paul says, I no longer primarily identify by the way the systems of the world are pressuring me in order to create my sense of association. I've been freed. Why? Because I'm born again. And God has put his spirit in me. And I'm a new kind of creation. And now my mission is to be planted in this city or the nations as a representative of another kingdom. Because I'm a part of the embassy. The embassy, that being a heavenly colony. We could define it this way. We as the church are a heavenly embassy planted in the United States. 
We as the church are a heavenly colony. We're a divine family. We are a people that have been born again. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus. We are being transformed by God's own spirit at work in us. And we are glorifying God through his work in us. And then his mission that he has allowed us to become a part of. So we do not identify by the way that the world is constantly tugging at us. Trying to get us to fit into one of their categories. What does this mean? This means I'm born again. It means I'm a new creation. And as a heavenly ambassador, I don't get caught up in earthly affairs. I don't get caught up in the entanglements of the world and the associations and the pressures that the systems and the structures of the world, the political and military structures of the world that are constantly trying to enforce their will and their way on us as believers, we are not giving way or surrendering to the world's systems. We have been born again. And therefore, we'll just break it down into really practical day-by-day ways. That means my primary association is no longer conservative or liberal. (laughs) That means my primary association is no longer being worried about if I'm left or right. That means my primary association, especially here in America, is no longer Republican. It's no longer Democrat. It's no longer independent. That means that my primary association is not necessarily to fit nicely and neatly into one of the world's categories, thereby or thereby uh, uh, satisfying all of the demands of the mob in order for me to belong to a specific side in order for the world to receive me. Because Jesus said, know this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. That's John 15. In John 17, he prays for them and he says, you are in the world, but you're no longer of it. And I'm actually asking the Lord to not take you out of the world, but to leave you in it because there's a specific mission that you fulfill, but to protect you from the evil one. Paul says, if we do not see ourselves as heavenly representatives, we very easily get sucked into all of the earthly warfare and the associations that come along with thinking that we belong in the world. We are on mission in the world, but we do not belong to the world. We're a new creation. And that new creation has put us on mission with God. Paul says that we actually have a ministry that we bear upon our lives. It's the word of reconciliation, and it's the ministry of reconciliation. Because it was God in Christ reconciling all of the world into himself no longer holding their trespasses against them. Praise God. This is the climax of the gospel. When all things are reconciled into and unto Christ. The gospel may include individual salvation, but the totality of the gospel is not only individual salvation. You see, God still would have come and died, even if it were only for you. But it wasn't only for you. There is a much bigger story that is unfolding in time as we know it. God has a will. He has a plan. There is a purpose that God is fulfilling in our generation 
in every generation since the beginning of time until the climax of time when everything wraps up and reconciles into Christ as we know it. Romans tells us that even creation itself is longing for this wonderful day of reconciliation. This is Paul's communication in Romans 8. He says all of creation is groaning. He says it's groaning. There's an ache. There's a longing. Because creation knows that things are out of place. Creation knows that because of sin and because of corruption, that it's not right. Creation understands and it's aching and it's groaning. It's awaiting the day for the real sons in God or the sons of God to be revealed. Even creation itself is waiting for the fulfillment of the gospel. What is the fulfillment of the gospel? The fulfillment of the gospel is the king is coming again. The king is coming again. The king is coming again. The second coming of Christ has become a foreign and a forgotten conversation in most places throughout the church. But the fulfillment of the gospel is, yes, Jesus came and died for me. Yes, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, he loves me. Yes, he wants to bless me. But this is not where God fits into my story. But the climax of the gospel is where I understand how my life fits into God's story. You see, especially in America, we have become so self-centered of sorts. Where we are constantly trying to see how God fits into my life. Places where I want God to bless me. Places where I want God to give me breakthrough. And I want God to give me increase. And I want, and I this, and I, I. And the problem is I, I. And it's not Jesus, Jesus. But the fulfillment of the gospel is there is coming again a day. Where the king will return. And he is coming with his judgments. And he is coming with his rewards. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like the word judgment. That doesn't matter to me. It's not my word. Paul says there's coming a day when we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where we are going to give an account for our lives and the deeds that were done while we were in the flesh. You see, God cannot be as good as he says he is unless he issues his judgments. It is through God's judgments and in one of the ways through God's judgments, that he reveals his love and his mercy towards us. We have to understand judgment in the context of love and mercy and salvation. Because salvation cannot actually be real without judgment. Well, I don't really understand what that that means. Salvation cannot be fully real unless judgment is fully real. Because we believe that in the climax or in the fulfillment of the gospel, that Jesus is coming again. Right? right? This is is gospel 101. Jesus is coming again. We are living our lives right here, right now, which is how 2 Corinthians 5 opens, in light of the truth that Jesus is coming again. When Jesus comes again, he is coming to judge the world and reward the saints. He is judging powers principalities, the rulers of the age in an eternal way. 
He is judging all of what is currently right now embracing, celebrating, and promoting sin. Because in an eternal sense, either when you and I are resurrected from the dead, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we are either resurrected from the dead or to those of us that are alive at his appearing, when the trumpet sounds and the skies crack and the Son of Man comes riding upon the clouds, whether we are raised from the dead or whether we are alive at the time, Jesus is coming to judge in the world all of the experience and the corruption of sin. Now you see, that's hard for us to understand because we have been born into an experience that has already been tainted for centuries because of sin. We don't even actually know what would it be like to live in a world that has never entertained sin. What would it be like to live in a world that is completely absolved from the experience and the celebration of sin itself? I don't know. None of us know, but this is what we are all living towards. And on the other side of our last breath, this will be our experience forever. And the judgments of Jesus reveal his loving kindness towards us. Because he's not good unless he judges everything that is destroying the quality of life that he desires for us. It's why creation is groaning. It recognizes that there's a quality of life when things are reconciled by God's desires into the person of Jesus that it is not now living in. And it is what creates the ache and the longing. Creation recognizes it. You and I recognize that there's a lot of broken stuff in the world. There's a lot of broken stuff in the world. There's a lot of wicked things in the world there's a lot of evil and corruption evil and corruption that's being embraced evil and corruption that's being celebrated evil and corruption that's being promoted evil and corruption as an agenda that is being pushed and forcefully advanced there's a lot of wicked things in the world and it is unto this purpose that if God is as good as he says he is he must bring judgment against the things that are currently destroying the quality of life that he desires for you that he desires for me and that he desires for creation itself And this is the climax of the gospel when the king returns to reconcile all things into himself, creation and created ones. And where we as the bride of Christ, we identify as the bride of Christ. We are headed towards the marriage supper of the lamb where the father will present to his son an eternal companion, a bride. That bride is a people. That people is God's possession from the nations that we would call right now the saints, the church. We are possessed by God in the earth being prepared to live forever with Jesus. At least that's what I hope we all believe. Because that's what this book actually communicates. And in light of these things, we are right here right now living in America, as heavenly representatives. In light of all of what we know to be true, because God has shared his own spirit with us, 
God has filled us with himself. God has filled us with himself. And he is currently preparing us for the full reality of everything that we believe to be true. It's actually one of the beautiful ways that we know that everything that God has said is true and is coming. How and why? He put his spirit in you. He put his spirit in you. And why does that actually matter? He put his spirit in you today in order to get you ready for forever. Because it is the work of his spirit in you that is right now jealously bringing judgment to everything that is alive on the inside of you that is not going to cross over with you into the experience of eternity. He has put his spirit in us in order to prepare us as a people for what it is that he has prepared for us. For no eye seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those that love him. But we have been granted access into the mind of Christ by our lives being filled with God's spirit. We are here in the earth, but we no longer belong to the earth. And as heavenly representatives, our lives should be most concerned with representing the king and living under his jurisdiction or his governance. And God is issuing his judgments now so that we can be rewarded when the king returns. What I mean by that is we have been filled with his spirit. It's one of the reasons that you can no longer enjoy the world how the rest of the world does. You have God's spirit on the inside of you. And God's spirit on the inside of you is no longer allowing you to entertain or to enjoy what it is that is destroying the quality of life that God desires for you. We call this transformation. But it's transformation through God's judgments, which is the revealing of his loving kindness towards us. I love you, so I am going to evict everything that is ruining the quality of life that I desire for you. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm going to put my spirit in you. Paul says in the beginning of Romans chapter 8, that if we have the spirit, we know that we belong to him. And though we live in the flesh, the flesh is unto death because it is being judged because of sin. But those of us who actually carry the spirit, we are alive to God, awaiting the day of our eternal transformation and glorification. We as a people who possess God's spirit are an earthly broker of God's desires in our cities and unto the nations of the earth. Because Paul not only says we're a new creation. He not only says that we bear the word of reconciliation, but the ministry of reconciliation. We have to now see our lives in light of what real ministry is all about. What is real ministry all about? Well, I'll tell you, real ministry is not about building a brand. I'll tell you, real ministry is not about getting famous. I'll tell you, real ministry is not about power and influence, fame and fortune. Real ministry is the preparing of my own heart 
for the second coming of Jesus. Real ministry is my life helping to prepare my wife and my children, my heart, my home for the second coming of the king. And now as a church family, our lives have been knit together and we are creating a heavenly colony in our city. We are an embassy in our city that reveals a people conformed to God's image who are on mission in our city to preach the gospel, which is the heralding of the announcement The king is coming. When Paul says, I am an ambassador, he says, I am a heralder of the gospel. A herald, this is in terms of ancient days, a herald would go before the king. And he would travel to the cities that the king was coming to visit. And he would come sometimes days before, sometimes weeks before. And he would say, ready yourselves, the king is coming. He would say, ready yourselves, the king is coming. Paul says, I am a heralder of the gospel. We must see our lives in light of the mission that God has us on as a people that have been born again and filled with his spirit. We are heralding the gospel in our homes and in our cities. The king is coming again. Ready yourselves. The king is coming again. You have an opportunity to repent and to put your faith in the gospel. Why? Because we want a bigger church? No! Because Jesus is coming! Why? Because I want to be well-known and famous? No! Because Jesus is coming! We don't preach the gospel to be famous. We preach the gospel because the King is coming again. And as heavenly representatives, we have to see ourselves correctly so that we can disassociate from all of the earthly warfare and the worldly nonsense that is lobbying for the control of our lives so that we can be free to actually obey God and honor Him by life or by death. I don't really like the way that sounds. The three Hebrew kids, right in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar confronted them, he said, "Uh, listen guys, You've got an option here. You can recant. You can worship the statue. But if you don't do that, I'm going to put you into the furnace. Right? Nebuchadnezzar's a king, a political title. He's threatening them with military might. If you don't do what I say because of the power that my platform has given me, then I have the ability to enforce my will upon you. And they look at Nebuchadnezzar and they say, hey man, check this out. You can threaten us with the furnace. You can turn the furnace up seven times hotter. You can put us in there. And if he comes and if he rescues us, praise God. But even if he doesn't, understand this, bro. I'm not bowing my knee. Understand this. I will not deny him. Understand this. I've already given him my life. And whether my life ends right here or whether he should grant me an extension of time, regardless of how much I have left, I'm going to glorify him with every single bit of it. So you can put us in there, but we'll never bow to you. We'll never worship your system. We'll never certainly succumb to your structure. 
We are in the world, but we don't belong to it. I've given my life to my king. And he's the only one that's going to get my devotion. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, you can threaten us by the setup that the world has. Right? It's what Pilate said to Jesus, if you remember, while Jesus was being processed. He said, listen, man, I have the power to release you or to crucify you. And what did Jesus say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it were, then my servants would fight in order to try and release me right now. He said, the only reason that you have authority over me is because my father has determined it to be so right now. But understand this. There's coming a day when you will see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds. And I will come with my judgments because I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. But there's coming a day when my kingdom will descend and my saints will rise and they will ascend to meet me in the air. And I will step down upon the earth. And in that day, I will judge every wicked system, every corrupt structure, everything that has ever enjoyed, embraced, and celebrated sin. I will rid the earth of it and I will reward those that lived for me. I will reward those that suffered well with me. Paul says in Romans 8, 17, if we have suffered with him, will we not also be glorified with him? I will reward those that lived for me. I will reward those that suffered with me. I will reward those that refused to bow the knee. And whether it was by life or even if it required unto death, I'm coming for you. This is the climax of the gospel. And Paul says, in light of these things, we preach reconciliation to the world. Be reconciled. We beg you, as a matter of fact, be reconciled to God. I'm not interested in the worldly categories. Because I believe that every race, every ethnicity, all people groups matter because of the broken, bloodied, body of God on the cross that has reconciled every distinction, every bit of division, all of the eternal hostility. God has made a way through his own perfect wisdom to create the expression of one new man. That's you. That's me. We no longer identify by ethnicity. We no longer identify by social categories. We no longer identify by social status. We no longer identify by income rank. We no longer identify by political affiliation. We no longer identify by all of the systems and the categories, the mobs of the world that are forcing us into their conversation. We have our own conversation. The king is coming again. He's coming again. Paul says, in light of these things, we preach reconciliation to the world. Be reconciled to God. In light of these things, we see our lives and understand our mission correctly. We're not deceived or distracted by all of the worldly chaos and the whirlwind that the world tries to pressure us with. We understand who we are. We're a people that are in the earth, but we're not of the world and we belong to a king. And our lives are being transformed. Why and how? God has put his spirit on the inside of us. I could never do it by myself. It's the grace of God. And I am what I am because of God's grace. And his loving kindness and his mercy towards me. He has filled me with his own spirit. I would have died where I was even if I thought I was a good person. That's not even what matters. Because the gospel is not about good and bad. 
The gospel is about dead and alive. Paul says there was a time when all of us were dead in our transgressions. But you don't understand, I was a good person. The gospel is not about good and bad. The gospel is about dead and alive. He says there was a point where we were all dead in our transgressions, Ephesians 2. But because of God's grace, because of his mercy, because of his tender loving kindness towards us in Christ, he has made us alive in Christ unto God. We see ourselves correctly. We understand very acutely the mission that God has us on in our cities and unto the nations. We understand the purpose that God brought us into His story. It is His story. God is not being sprinkled into my story. My life has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the dominion of His beloved Son. My life has been brought into God's story. And because it's his story, he is the one that is ruling over history. And our lives fit into history because it's his story. These are amazing days to be alive. These are wonderful days to be a Christian. These are powerful, glory-filled days to be believers in Christ Praise God. Hey, even if I'm the only one that's excited about it. But when you don't see yourself right, you get distracted. When you don't see yourself right, you jump into a lot of other conversations that don't belong to us. They belong to the world. Jesus is not a politician. Jesus is not a government official. Jesus is not lobbying according to the world's structures, trying to integrate himself into worldly systems in order to occupy a place of power. He is a king. And when he returns, his kingdom is coming with him. And when it descends, there is a dominion that has been given to him that will never end. And it will destroy all of the other corrupt dominions and kingdoms that this world through powers and principalities have constructed that currently are creating the corruption and the ache and the longing in creation and in you and I as we right now bear this earthly tent. It is God's spirit in you that is the promise of everything that he has revealed to us it's true. It's time to cast off the distractions. Everything he said is true. It's time to focus ourselves once again on the mission because everything that he said is true. It's time to recapture a vision of the age to come and the second coming of this wonderful king because everything that he said is true. It's time to plant your life in the soil of the earth like a seed unto the harvest that God desires by the way that you fulfill your purpose and glorify him for the 
place that he has put you. When we think of all of the tension, all of the hostility, all of the fear, all of the panic that has filled the air and people's lives in these days, we have to see our lives in light of God choosing us to be a solution in this moment. We are alive for such a time as this. Your life is an answer. It is in these moments where we become a city on a hill. It is in these moments where our lives get set apart. It is in these moments where, like Paul says in Philippians 2, we hang in a dark night sky like bright stars in the midst of a corrupt generation. It is in these moments. It is in these moments. Well, see, I mean, all of that sounds amazing. We'll close with this. Peter and John are on their way to prayer in Acts 3. And it says they encounter a man. Now, Peter and John are two men that are possessed by God's spirit. Some of you may be uncomfortable with the possession language. (laughs) They're two men possessed by God's spirit. And they're on their way to prayer. And it says they encounter a lame man. And they raise him up through the power of God. You see, because when we preach the gospel, the evidence of the authority of our king rests upon our lives. And so we heal the sick. We cast out devils. We raise the dead. Why? Because Jesus is king. And his kingdom will come, but we carry his authority here now as ambassadors in the earth. And Peter and John are living as ambassadors. And this man gets raised up to the glory of God. And you would think that this created a lot of excitement in the streets. But this man getting healed created a lot of unrest in the streets. And Peter and John actually get mobbed and arrested because of it. They get beaten. They get jailed. Let me just tell you, we have not yet escalated to the point where Christians are being persecuted to this degree. Okay? We're not there yet. (laughs) And some of us are like, we'll never be there. Okay, that's cool. Because a year ago, I never thought we'd be where we are right now. It didn't create a lot of cheerleaders. Two men in the streets on mission for God did not create a lot of cheerleaders. They were mobbed. They were beaten. They were jailed. But when they get out, they rush to go find the church. And they gather together in prayer. And the Bible says that they lift their voice. And that the place where they're gathered physically shakes. And that God fills them all afresh with the Holy Spirit. And then they go out into the streets to preach the word of God with more boldness. The Spirit filled them to return them to God's mission with greater boldness. (laughs) The Spirit is not simply filling us to satisfy all of our own worldly and fleshly desires. The Spirit is filling us to transform us and then to deploy us out into the streets to be more bold about God's mission than we were prior to being filled. And there they go, preaching the Word of God. Not preaching their own opinion. Not preaching their own political slants. 
not preaching all of their own governmental concerns and all of their own conspiracy theories. They're preaching the word. And they're filled with fire and with boldness. And God is shaking the streets because of the faithfulness of these men living in light of God's mission in these days. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray for us. Because today, more than anything, I want you to see your life in light of God's mission. Today, more than anything, I want you to fully realize that God has filled you with himself to deploy you into the earth, to ready your heart, your home, your city. And for those who bear or feel this tug to the nations, the nations of the world, to ready that for the second coming of this amazing king because he is coming again. This is what we believe. It is the hope that has filled our lives. It is the anchor that is deep in our souls. And it's what frees us to be faithful for as much time that God would give us by life or by death. My life belongs to him. I'm going to ask you to stand up on your feet for just a moment. And for those of you that are born again, I'm going to ask you to put your hand on your chest. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that something on the inside of you begins to stir like a wildfire with great violence. For the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. But violent men and women, they lay hold of it. The world, the rulers of the age, powers and principalities have never been able to stop what God is doing through the church. Back in Nero's day, they used to arrest Christians and put them in the Colosseum and feed them to wild beasts for sport. Thousands of people would gather for entertainment as Christians were mauled by wild animals. During the days, hundreds of years after, they would behead them and impale them and ride around with their bodies on sticks in the city streets in order to prove a point that anybody that wanted to align themselves with this way to provoke fear in mass on the people. But here we are. Here we are. We are a force to be reckoned with. We are a people that cannot be stopped. We are filled with God's spirit. May you awaken today to God's mission for your life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking you right now. This is something so beyond superficiality. It's something so beyond emotionalism. I'm asking you, Lord, would you take your word and your spirit alive on the inside of us? And would you brighten, would you illuminate the truth? And would it begin to burn I ask you, Lord, for a wildfire on the inside. I'm asking you for a wildfire, Lord, on the inside. Where we would see who we are in Christ. And where we would realize the fact that we are ambassadors. And that we would set our lives into the mission 
that you are currently working out in our city and the nations of the earth. The king is coming. And Lord, by your spirit, you are currently harvesting a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This great and glorious body, your bride, the church, being perfected unto the day where we will be presented to our bridegroom king. Praise God forever. Thank you for your mercy, for your love. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken us, for this life is but a breath. May we realize what you are doing. Focus our hearts. Steady our lives to honor you until our final breath. We love you, King Jesus. And we give you everything once again. I'm going to ask you right there where you're standing to just take a moment. And right now, just between you and the Lord, whether it's something that you actually communicate audibly or whether it's just the conversation of your heart right now between you and God, I'm going to ask you to just just respond to it. Just respond to it. 